Hello, heathens. I'm Megan Angus, and this is Spinning the Wheel Podcast. In this weekly audio ritual, we explore the eight seasons of the Witch's Wheel of the Year, and we discover how it is so much more than eight Sabbaths. We weirding witches time travel through holy days, festivals, and celestial events connecting our celebrations and magic to the past, present, and future. Our cackling fills the night as we take our turn gathering the wool, wielding the distaff, and spinning the wheel. Welcome back, my friends. This is Spinning the Wheel Podcast. I am your ash-covered host, Megan Angus. Things are a little smoky right now in the Pacific Northwest. If you're up here with me, you probably have literal ash falling from the sky from wildfires that are surrounding us right now. It's pretty intense. It's happening down in California, too. It's just what we do here on the West Coast now, (laughs) I guess. Um, hope you're taking care of yourselves. Stay hydrated. Turn your air filters on. If you hear a little buzzing in the background, that's my air filter. Um, this week is going to be a little bit of a shorty. I know I say that every week and then it's like a two hour (laughs) episode, but for real, I swear to God, we're going to make, we're going to keep it short this week, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, my throat is killing me because of the smoke. Um, also I may have gone to a rock concert earlier this week and screamed my head off and you know, there's that. Uh, but also (laughs) because our next class is coming up in just a couple of days. This is going to be, uh, Maybon or Mabon. It's pronounced both ways. Maybon, a six week guide to fall equinox. And a lot of the stuff that I would normally be talking about in this podcast, we're going to be covering in the class. So I hope you can join me for that. Um, This, I think, is going to be the last class that I do as a Zoom class instead of a live stream on YouTube. We've been live streaming the classes. I had some technical snafu whatnotery going on and I couldn't figure it out and I have finally figured it out, but not in time, I don't think, (laughs) enough for me to actually set up the live stream and have it look as professional as I want it to on Tuesday. Who knows? The weekend, you know, is yet to happen. So maybe things will change. That's kind of how we roll here (laughs) by the seat of the pants, flying with one leg over the broom, barely holding on. Um, So the likelihood is that this will be uh, a Zoom class one more time, uh, and then we will go back to our normal live streams on YouTube. If you would like to attend, and I hope you want to attend, um, I will have the address for the Zoom class listed for patrons. Uh, I will send it out in a newsletter, um, and I may list it on my website. I try to keep it chill because I don't want buttheads coming to the class you know, <laughs> when it's a Zoom class, when it's a Zoom class. Um And then if you don't make that, it will be uploaded to the YouTube channel. So it will be available for free for everyone at some point. Um, I will also be uploading the uh, video of the class and the audio of the class here, uh, wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. So that's been another avenue or media medium, (laughs) media medium (laughs) that I've been uh, sharing the classes through. So, okay. Anyways, that's coming up on Tuesday, uh, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Please join us, Maybon, six-week guide to fall equinox. Okay, let's get into this week, however. Um, We are going to, as I said, kind of try to keep it short and sweet um, because we've got stuff coming up in just a couple of days. Uh, But we are going to cover all the basics today. We're going to talk about our moon stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about the astrology of this week. And we're going to talk about one holy day this week because it's a big one. And it is a huge element of this time of year, for me anyways, and for lots of ancient pagans uh, in in the old world. Um, And we are also going to talk about our tarot card for the week and some magic that we can do this week as well. Um, and maybe we'll just 
maybe we'll get in a little bit of some world events. <laughs> I There's been a couple things going on this week, huh? And yeah, just a few. All right. Uh, let's get into it. Okay. To get us centered uh, in our work, this is Lunasod season, full moon in Pisces, lunar week 31 by some lunar calendars. Um, and so first and foremost, let's talk about this full moon because it is a bit of a mess, right? Um, we've got a lot of stuff going on in the world. <laughs> a lot of the world leaders that are connected to some of the oldest uh, patriarchal systems in the world are kind of getting it served to them by the universe right now. Um, I'm not going to go too heavy hardcore into that, but I don't think it's a surprise if you are a fan of this podcast that I'm not a huge fan of, you know, our ex-president, not a huge fan of colonizers, not a huge fan of aristocracy, um, not a huge fan. Um, I think that there are a lot more folks in the world who are better educated on uh, giving a really good explanation as to why we don't need to celebrate uh, the lives of these people. And I think that witnessing their deaths, their passings, or their downfalls um, are potentially opportunities for celebration or at the very least opportunities for reflection on uh, something that sits very nicely with some other astrology that's happening right now, which is the Mercury retrograde that we are currently rolling through. Um, and that Mercury retrograde is really calling us to kind of look back on the stories we've been told, right? Um, when we think of uh, the sign that Mercury is retrograding through currently, it's Libra. And Libra speaks to justice and injustice. Libra speaks to diplomacy in a really uh, important way and harmony. And the way that those types of things are often forced on us, right? Just play nice, go along with the story, uh, go along with the, whatever's going to keep everybody happy and calm and keep things cute. And when Mercury is retrograding through Libra, it can stir up a lot of drama and it can stir up a lot of BS in the places where we have just been going along with the story uh, to keep things cute. And that retrograde rolls through and is like, no, 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 no. We're, we're looking under the rug to see what's been swept under here. We are revising these stories. We are reconsidering the narratives that um, we've been telling ourselves, that we've been telling each other. And that's going to cause some turmoil. That's going to make some folks uncomfortable. That is going to bring some funky stuff up to the surface, but it's stuff that needs to be aired out. It's stories that need to be rewritten, um, or really probably the better way to say that is these are stories that need to be authentically told rather than the lie that we've been telling ourselves, you know, for the last 70 years, hundred years, several hundred years of, of colonialism and, and patriarchy, right? So moments like this are uncomfortable. They're weird. They often might start with an argument, um, you know, where harmony breaks down, where diplomacy stops. Um, and yet we know from a magical standpoint, retrogrades are these opportunities to rectify. They are opportunities to reimagine things, but they are also opportunities to, um, to fix, you know, to correct, to go back and say, wow, we had a mistake here or an outright lie, you know, an, an outright, like we are, we are deceiving here. Um, and we're going to rectify that. We're going to fix that. Now we're going to, you know, untangle the weave of the tapestry a little bit in this one spot. That's some of the work that we can do during a retrograde. Is it comfortable? Usually it's not. Um, is it easy? Usually it's not. Um, and so we want to have patience with ourselves. We want to have patience with the people that we're talking to. We want to have patience with in, in particular, because it's a mercury retrograde, uh, the information sources that we trust, the information sources that we generally don't trust. Um, we want to just be kind of light handed and holding these things very lightly as all of this stuff sort of plays itself out. Um, so 
wherever you fall on that stuff this week, it might just be all up in your face, even if you have no opinion about it at all. Um, it's the kind of stuff that a lot of folks want to talk about. Everybody's got a hot take as well, right? They got to get the clicks on social media. Oh, I said this about the queen or, oh, I said this about Trump or whoever. Henry Kissinger's next, you know, and all of this. Um, Shino Abe, you know, all of these various world leaders that have passed or are going through it currently. Um, you know, <laughs> the universe balances the score at one point or another. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but these are people that are representations, embodiments, we could say, of the systems that our world is built on, that our societies are built on. And when they are going through hard times, as figureheads, if we're looking at this from a very um, archetypal perspective, when these figureheads have a hard time, when they fall down, uh, when they trip, when they stumble, when they make a mistake, when they are shown to be less than godlike, uh, because they are, in fact, humans, right? Um, that is also indicative of the, of, the, of the systems that they represent. And this is extremely poignant here in Lunasod season. Uh, Lunasod season is all about the figurehead that steps forward at summer solstice and uh, progressively gets weaker and, uh, you know, and, and progressively stumbles and progressively becomes uh, less and less and less as we move towards winter solstice. So also seeing these things play out on the world stage is pretty amazing given the portion of the wheel that we are in. And watching these figureheads stumble, fall, have a moment of weakness. Um, but we want to also remember, again, as figureheads, archetypally, they are representatives of the systems that produce them. And so they are also sort of a litmus test for like, what's the health of this system? <laughs> Maybe not so great. Ha ha, yay, you know, correct, wonderful, and patriarchy, delicious. But also, if you live in the West, anywhere in the West, and plenty of places not in the West, patriarchy is embedded in your life. And so we may want to see the end of this system. And also that ending can create a lot of strife and confusion and hardship in your life. So sitting with all of that stuff, right? It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. Um, and that's a big part of why I've been saying like this full moon is a bit of a mess and it's, it's a bit of a like oof kind of moment because we've got that stuff going on in the background with Mercury retrograde. We've got these things playing out on the world stage. Um, and then full moon in Pisces is just a really emotional time for a lot of people. Um, Pisces in our chart, in our, in our, in our astrological work is connected to the 12th house for a lot of folks. And whether we're talking about Pisces stuff or we're talking about 12th house stuff, these are both places of infirmaries and prisons. Um, they represent places where old people are sent to die, um, hospital rooms where people are sent to die, um, uh, you know, places where society tucks away its unwanted and its unmentionables. So um, mental institutions and prisons fall under the auspices of Pisces and the 12th house. It's not only that stuff, but it's also that stuff. What else are we talking about in Pisces and the 12th house? Deep and profound spiritual experiences. Um, the places where everything blends into everything and boundaries sort of fall away and don't really work anymore. Um, and one of the things that I always think about personally when I'm dealing with Pisces or the 12th house is that this is the place where we have experiences that can't be put into words or are not supposed to be put into words. Um, and so like it, incredibly ecstatic experiences, again, you know, really profound spiritual moments, um, absolutely can be described by Pisces and stuff within the 12th house, but also things around shame and guilt, um, and things that are considered taboo by you or your collective or your, the society that you live in 
also exist in this place. And so having the full moon here means that folks are saying things they are quote unquote not supposed to say, or they are saying things that they have never been able to find words for before. Um, and this is within the auspices of Mercury, planet of communication and information, being retrograde in Libra, the sign, an air sign of diplomacy and justice and harmony and, and or the lack of those things. So, right, that's like, a, that's a heady mix of stuff. Um, you might be having really spicy conversations in your friendship groups. You might be having really ecstatic uh, spiritual experiences or really profound dreams. Um, maybe you're remembering a lot more of your dreams than you normally do. Um, it could manifest for you in a lot of ways. But one of the ways that it might manifest for you is feeling a lot more emotion and having a much more emotion-based response to whatever is happening for you in your life, dramatic or mundane. Um, so just be aware that you might be moving from a place where boundaries have kind of fallen away, parts of you that feel that they have been silenced now have an opportunity to speak, um, and also, uh, you know, that there's this sort of like swimming in the depths of it all. Uh, we will move out of this, uh, full moon in Pisces by 11:47 PM Saturday, the 10th Pacific standard time, the moon will move into Aries. So pretty quickly after this, the, the moon changes signs and the, and the temperature will shift a little bit. The, um, the vibes will shift a little bit, but in the midst of that stuff, um, what you might have going on for you this weekend is repressed emotions coming to the surface. Um, habits from the past coming back, uh, to kind of test you to see how you're doing in your process around those things. Um, and you might be really kicking into a lot of your autopilot functions or dysfunctions we love, right? Um, but it could be, <laughs> could be either way here. Um, and, and the gift of that is uh, when those autopilot functions come back, when habits come back from the past, um, when that stuff, you know, our emotions are coming up from the subterranean depths, or as I like to say, bubbling up from the bottom of the cauldron, these are opportunities for us to review extra, extra dope because we've got Mercury in retrograde, perfect time for review. So these are opportunities to review and to ask ourselves, are thing, are these things that we need to re-embrace and, and reincorporate back into our energetic work? Or is this stuff that I want to continue to change or is this stuff that I want to continue to release or affirm to myself? I have released this. I don't need to bring it back in. We're good to go. That's what we get to do with this stuff. Um, this is another moon where I, I recommend if you have a chance this weekend to take some time and just be by yourself and do your own thing, it might be really, really helpful and, or be around people who, are going to be okay with whatever comes out of your mouth, <laughs> right? Or who are going to be okay with that boundarylessness. Um, when our boundaries are down, that means that we are often picking up on other people's energies, other people's emotions, other people's psychological states, and we may mistake them for our own. We might not be able to tell where I stop and you start, right? That might be really difficult. And so that's part of also why I'm saying if you can be by yourself, it can help with that. And or if you can be around people that you have deep love and deep trust for, you know, in theory, hopefully it's going to be okay if there's a little mix up there, right? <laughs> Between what's going on with them and what's going on with you, that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I'm going to, just like last week, I'm going to do the moon and the astrology really, really quick this week. And then we're going to talk about our one big holy day just to, to bang it out. Um, so that is basically the astrology of Saturday. The 10th is just this big fat full moon bringing this gigantic light on, you know, all of this stuff that we're talking about. Um, this is our harvest moon of the year. Officially the harvest moon is the September moon. Um, 
it's also the the full moon that is the closest to the fall equinox is always called the harvest moon and that would be this one other names for this full moon are the full corn moon corn really having a moment in the spotlight right now god is bless um this is also the barley moon the scarlet plum moon the fruit moon the chrysanthemum moon and 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 um a lot of those moon names come from uh Algonquin or other Native American tribes, other indigenous tribes here on Turtle Island. Um, but folks around the world have been naming full moons for thousands of years. So some of those come from other groups, uh, Chinese groups or Celtic groups or what have you. Um, okay, moving into the rest of this week, very, very briefly. Sunday the 11th, we have uh, the sun in Virgo, trine, Uranus in Taurus at 18 degrees. I think that this is a really uh, great opportunity to kind of come back to the physical world after all of this very nebulous, hazy, dreamy, ecstatic, uh, boundarylessness that the full moon in Pisces is bringing to us. Um, you know, moon and uh, sun in Virgo is like, let me get back to the body and the daily routine. Uranus and Taurus is like, you know, let me have a revolutionary stance when it comes to the physical plane and how I'm making my way through it. So collectively, Virgo and Taurus, both earth signs, and in a trine, they're on the same page with each other. So Sunday kind of gives us an opportunity to sort of come back around to ourselves and what do we need to maintain the body, maintain the earthly plane, uh, maintain the basic rhythms of earth, all of that good stuff. Okay. Monday the 12th, nothing. Uh, Tuesday the 13th, we have our moon move into Taurus uh, at like 4.30 in the morning Pacific Standard Time. And around 4 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific Standard Time, uh, we have our disseminating moon in Taurus at 6 degrees of Taurus. And the disseminating moon in Taurus is all about, uh, well, let me, actually, let me, let me say this first. Our disseminating moons are interesting because it's the first official lunar phase after the full moon. And the full moon and the disseminating moon oftentimes work together. They work in tandem in that the full moon may bring something to a head it may bring something to a culminating point or a crisis point or a climactic moment, um, a fulfillment kind of moment, uh, an aha, uh, here it is, it has arrived, here's the results of the thing, ta-da, um, in a very initial sense. And then here, three days later, we have the disseminating moon. And this is oftentimes where we begin to see the actual ways that that stuff is going to play out. In the metaphor that we use to talk about the phases of the moon, um, we, we, we talk about this plant that you know grows from a seed, the seed being the new moon, up to a vine that produces a fruit. And that moment that the fruit is produced is the full moon. But the moment that the fruit is ripe and ready to be eaten or utilized in some way that's the disseminating moon. And that's a very different thing, right? You know, you've eaten a piece of fruit that was unripe versus a piece of fruit that was ripe. There's a big difference there. Full moon, the, the fruit has arrived. The disseminating moon, the fruit has ripened. Okay, so that energy here, right? Like all of this stuff that's happening this week and into this weekend with astrology and all of our stuff, we may have yet more things play out as we step into next week. So, you know, hike your chonies, <laughs> hydrate, moisturize, because who knows what's happening here. <laughs> this could get, this could get more intense before it gets less intense. Um, the disseminating moon in Taurus specifically coming it back down to earth um, really encourages us to build something or to finish off a project in particular, like let's say you've had a bunch of um, pictures in your house that have been sitting in frames and waiting to get hanged. This would be the weekend to hang those pictures, right? Like 
come to the ultimate conclusion of that project enjoy the results of it. Um, if you've been in the process of cleaning and moving your house around and doing things like that in response to us being in Virgo season and these last four weeks of, of Lunasod season, um, this might be a good weekend to kind of bring a finality to that process and like, okay, here's how things are going to be for the next you know few months or whatever. Like, let me put things back in the closet because I'm not going to actually get to that project or whatever it is. That's kind of the way that we can approach a disseminating moon. Um, and in particular, looking at our Lunasod seen as in magical work and what it is that we can do with uh, a disseminating moon in Taurus, this is a really fantastic time to repair or build, but especially repair and display magical items. You can do that for yourself. But again, because this is Taurus, there's also a real power in doing this work for other people. Maybe you have a neighbor that needs a help to get a project ultimately finished. Um, you know, in the old world, this would be us checking in with our neighbors to make sure that, you know, our harvest has been pulled in. We're done with that portion of our work. Do you need an extra hand helping to pull in the end of your harvest? Think of it in that way. Work with that metaphor. Do you know people in your life that need a helping hand to get a problem solved or to get a project accomplished, you know, to, to whatever extent uh, this cycle? That's what we can do with this um, disseminating moon in Taurus. Wednesday, the 14th, we got nothing. Uh, Thursday, the 15th, the moon moves into Gemini. Remember, Gemini is ruled by Mercury. So uh, the following few days, uh, Thursday, the Thursday the 15th, Friday the 16th, and Saturday the 17th, the moon is in Gemini all three of those days. So just be aware that all that mercurial retrograde whatnotery might really be fired up. Uh, communication might be extra wonky transportation might be extra wonky. Um, diplomacy and friendship stuff might be extra wonky. And again, as always, maybe it's something that you are just seeing in the universe and happening to the people around you, or maybe this is stuff that's like up in your face. Um, but just be aware. I would say, especially, especially on those three days, read the fine print a million times if you can have a couple of days before you have to sign the contract or make a decision on the thing, do so. Be very, very, very clear in your text messages with people, especially where diplomacy or speaking correctly, uh, like to accomplish a goal, if you're speaking to higher ups, that kind of thing, like just be really exceptionally clear um, in your speech. Uh, even if you think you're being pedantic about things, it's probably for the better. Um, I would do everything in my power also during these three days to absolutely at all costs avoid gossip, avoid rumors, avoid uh, talking shit on people, um, even if they deserve it. Um, it's just the kind of stuff that may clap back on you for no good reason later on. Um, or maybe for good reason, <laughs> right? It could be either way. Um, but this is just, just a really funky time for information and information exchange. And so we want to just be as tidy with that as we possibly can. Um, okay. Friday the 16th, we do have a lot of astrology on this day. Going through it very briefly, we have Venus in Virgo square Mars in Gemini at 14 degrees. Venus square Mars, that's probably a day where there could be some tension, there could be some arguments. You know, Mars is in Gemini, where it is also going to be stationing retrograde. So we've got uh, Mercury and Libra stationing retrograde. We've got Mars rolling through Gemini, led by Mercury, right? Ruled by Mercury. So real cool opportunity for an argument where everybody's wrong. <laughs> where everybody has no idea what's going on. Again, another day where we just want to like keep it as tidy as possible. Um, also on this day, we have the sun in Virgo opposing Neptune in Pisces at 24 degrees. The sun opposing Neptune is a really awesome opportunity for confusion, uh, nebulous or really hazy 
understanding uh, or communications. Um, it's a day where we can sometimes be really easily deceived, or we may find ourselves working hard to deceive others. So just, you know, play it cute on this day. Keep it cute. <laughs> like, like, just shut up. Right? <laughs> if that's what has to happen, just don't talk. Um, take a walk around the block, right? Put yourself in timeout, as I always say on the podcast. Um, this is just a day where there's a lot of opportunities for confusion, misunderstanding, and either purposefully misleading people or being misled, or just through mistakes, being misled or misleading people. So just be really careful and be solid in what you know that you know, and be very light handed around all the things where you don't know. It's okay to not be the smartest person in the room. I have to remind myself that frequently, uh, but it is okay to not be the smartest person in the room and to say, I don't know. I'm not sure. Let me look into that and get back to you. Let me check my notes before I say for certain X, Y, Z. It's the very best way we can handle that. And then also on this day, we have Venus in Virgo trine the North node in Taurus at 14 degrees. And this may bring a bit of a like, have, I don't want to say heaviness necessarily, but a bit of a fated feeling or a destined feeling around, I have to get this friendship right. I have to get this relationship moment right, or it's all going to be fucked up. It's all going to be lost. Uh, I have to get this diplomacy moment just right, or the whole thing is blown up. Um, I, you know, the, the, the nodes always bring in such interesting work for us. And where I sit with them currently is I feel like the nodes, the deepest work that they're doing is helping us question, why do I feel this is faded? Why do I feel like this is predestined? Um, why do I feel obligated to act this way, talk this way, be this way, look this way? Um, and so they give us an opportunity to actually examine those moments when it feels like the universe is handing us something or opening door number three, we can kind of step back from those moments. It's hard to remember to, but we can step back from those moments and go, is that true? Is Am I just making this up? Or, or do I want to decide that this is an important moment and act accordingly? How, you know, where's my free will and agency here? Um, that kind of stuff. Um, that's, that's our astrology. That's our lunar stuff. And that's our astrology for this month or for this week, excuse me, for the month, <laughs> as if. Um, so now let's go on to the holy days or holy day of this week. Okay, so our big holy day that I want to talk about for this week is it's Bisexual Awareness Week. Hey, no, <laughs> it is. It's actually from uh, September 16th to September 22nd. Um, Goddess bless the bisexuals and the pansexuals out there. I see you. I hear you. I am you. Uh, but no, that is not actually the holy day that I'm going to be discussing. Uh, the holy day I am discussing is, drumroll please, the Eleusinian Mysteries. If you are a pagan, you've probably heard about this because it's kind of a big deal. Um, and it's one of the uh, great rituals, mega rituals, um, that we have sort of well-documented from the past. And that's interesting in and of itself because documenting the mysteries was illegal. You weren't allowed to talk about what you had experienced in the mysteries. So um, what we know of the mysteries is stuff that um, is conveyed much later on in Greece's history. Um, some sort of the final days of Greece really is what we're talking about when we talk about what we know of the Eleusinian mysteries. And this is a holiday that I am going to talk about more in the Maybon class because it is, you know, a seasonal thing. Um, but I'm going to talk about it some here because, uh, because, 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 because of the, oh, sorry, <laughs> I'm losing it. This, uh, smoke is making me go a little wonky. Um, because uh, this year, the Eleusinian Mysteries start here a couple of weeks before the equinox. Some years, the Eleusinian Mysteries don't start almost until October. 
and they and it runs into October. So it really is something that is guided by the sun and the moon and their cycles. It's not uh, a festival that is on a fixed day. But this year, uh, the mysteries start on September 12th. And generally speaking, uh, the mysteries proper was a week-long festival complex. Um, however, the mysteries actually span the majority of the year, and they are intrinsically tied to all of the various parts of the uh, agricultural growth cycle that Greeks observed. So there's stuff, you're doing stuff for the mysteries all year long and in various places and various portions. One of the things that I thought was really interesting in studying this, this festival and this holiday uh, was finding out that you had to be prepared to do the mysteries. You couldn't just show up in September and be like, I'm here, let's go. You had to show up in spring and go through a rite of initiation and you had to learn a script and you basically were, you know, as far as we know, anyways, um, uh, historians believe, I guess is probably the better way to say that, that the, the spring, the lesser mysteries that would happen during spring um, were again, a type of initiatory process to get people prepared to do the greater mysteries properly. So you learned a script and you learned, you know, what the general pace of the week was going to be, sort of. There was a lot of stuff that was kept hidden until you actually went through it. Um, but, you know, speaking to that of like our process is never just one portion of the process, right? It's It's got multiple parts. Um, and so, you know, if you listen to last week's podcast, one of the things that I said about where we are in our work and our tarot and our spellcrafting and all of the stuff is, you know, this was a really beautiful time to kind of take a moment and look back on, you know, yeah, we've still got a ways to go to get to the top of the mountain and to get to our goal, but look at how far we have come. Look at how far you have, you've made it. Look at all the things that you've been through to get to where you are now. And the Eleusinian mysteries, I think really speaks to that on a meta level of like, you know, you again, you didn't just show up in September and do the do the thing. You had to be thinking about this six months, nine months in advance, at least. Um, a lot of people were initiated in spring and then it wasn't until the fall of the next year that they were actually allowed to go. So a whole year plus would pass before they actually could attend the greater mysteries. Um, we know that towards the end of Greece, it was a lot of like the aristocracy and um, the the richest families that were attending, and they were often the ones that were footing the bill for the temples to be able to hold the festivals in the first place. But a lot of historians think that at one point in in Greek history, everybody was initiated into the mysteries at a point in their life, that this was something that all people needed to go through. And because of that, um, a lot of folks believe that a lot of what was ultimately being taught or experienced in the mysteries was a deep understanding of the agrarian growth cycle and like how to identify seeds and how to grow vegetables and how to care for grains and how to take care of the soil before the growth cycle, during the growth cycle, and after the growth cycle, um, and to prepare the, the soil for the next growth cycle the next year. And then that information was, you know, transferred or, or taught within this really radical festival complex. So what, what would happen during the mysteries? Well, I'm actually going to save that for the class. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but, you know, suffice to say, sleep deprivation, um, hallucinogenic drinks, you know, just the average witchcraft, right? Just normal stuff. Um, nothing that we don't already know about. But on an um, archetypal level, on a symbolic level, what are we doing in the Eleusinian mysteries? Well, this centers around the myth of Demeter and Persephone. Uh, Demeter being a mother goddess who is uh, in charge of maintaining growth and life and vitality here on earth. Demeter is um, 
where we get the word meter from, like the, the way we measure physical, <laughs> the physical world. Yes, her, right? Um, and she was a, or is a mother goddess archetypal figure. Um, and Persephone is her daughter. And we have several different myths as we look back through time um, around this particular cycle with these two goddesses. And, um, you know, but the one that I think that we all are probably the most familiar with here in the modern Western world is that Persephone is out enjoying herself in a field of flowers. She is a young girl, a maiden, a virgin, um, an unexperienced, unmatured child or young woman. And Hades or Hades, uh, the deity of the dead and the lands of the dead, uh, sees her and jumps in his chariot, crashes up through the earth uh, from the underworld, snatches Persephone, kidnaps her, and drags her back down to his realm, where he assaults her, ultimately, and uh, keeps her bound up. And Demeter is like, the fuck happened to my kid? Like, what is happening? Whoa, wait a minute. And starts to lose her mind. And uh, in that, she ends the growth cycle. She stops the growth cycle and is like, no more, no more life on Earth. If my daughter has been kidnapped, if she's been hurt, if something has happened to her, no more life on earth. And people are not able to pro procreate. People can't get pregnant anymore. No one is having babies. Um, people stop having sex. The plants stop growing. All life on earth begins to wither and die. And the gods are like, whoa, that's not good. <laughs> that seems like a lot. That's a, whoa, what's going on here? Mercury, of course, uh, knows, aka Hermes, right, in his Greek name, or their Greek name, knows, because uh, Hermes, or Mercury, has the capacity to travel through all of the realms, and is the god of communication, the messenger of the gods, all of that stuff, right? So Mercury, Hermes, already knows what's up in the underworld, and uh, eventually goes and, like, sneaks back to the Greek gods and is like, check it out. This is what's the, here, I found her. And long story long, um, the gods get together with Hades and with Demeter and uh, basically are like, look, she is going to end all life on earth forever. Your realm is going to be jam-packed. Are you really prepared for this? Also, we don't want that. So is there any way that we can come to some kind of a, an agreement a resolution here like what can we do and eventually Demeter and Hades decide that they are going to share Persephone and part of the year Persephone will stay with him and part of the year Persephone will stay with Demeter and that restores the balance of life on earth and so this is reflected in the turning of the seasons where here we have all of this abundant life. And then as we move towards fall and winter, life begins to fade on planet earth. This of course, being the time that Persephone is in the underworld with Hades. And then in spring, which is where we find the lesser Eleusinian mysteries. Uh, this is when Persephone gets to come back up and be with her mom. Her mom is happy again. And so she allows life to grow again on earth. Did you notice anything wrong with that story? Or perhaps I should say, how many things did you notice wrong with that story or problematic, right? Number one being, did anybody ask Persephone's opinion about any of this? No, right? And uh, this I, I stress when I talk about this every year, because this version of the story is from late Greece. Uh, and late Greece was extremely patriarchal compared to early Greece or the cultures that came before them. And so when we push back in time and we look for different versions of this myth, we find more and more agency on Persephone's part. And again, I'm going to get into that more in the class, but 
let me say this, that I think it's very interesting, <laughs> the shifts of energy that we are having on the planet right now with the Ellicinian mysteries and, you know, life being taken from here and brought to the underworld and this trading back and forth of life and death. Um, but also in some of our oldest versions of this myth, we do find traces where Persephone may be choosing to go through her own rite of initiation to leave her childhood behind and become an adult. This already feels a little bit better, doesn't it? It also, to me, feels a little bit more matrilineal. Would a mother still mourn the loss of innocence for her daughter? Of course. Every parent in the world mourns the, the growing up of their child and the maturing of their child. This is a completely natural uh, state. It's a completely natural process. Parents want their kids to stay kids forever in some ways, right? They also delight in the maturing of their children and the growing up and the blossoming of their children, right? So both of these things are happening at the same time. We know that, you know, if you are a parent or if you've had a parent, uh, it's very likely that they went through all of those types of states of being sad about it. I want to keep you from it. And also I celebrate you becoming your own person and becoming adult and all of that stuff. Where did that go in that old, in that version of the story, right? Where's that part of the conversation? What's up with that? Um, so so I, I, I always sit with that when I'm when I come back to this myth year after year, right? Because we do, we come back year after year, it's a spiral. Um, time is a flat wheel. <laughs> Here we go again. But, um, but where is that, right? Where is Demeter being allowed to at simultaneously mourn the death of her child or mourn the changing of the child that was her daughter and celebrate the maturing of her daughter who is becoming her own person in her own right and making choices for herself and deciding where she wants to put her energy and what she wants to be in the world. And then deeper, where is Persephone's voice in this, right? So when we think about this myth, this, um, this comes up for us, I think, here in fall because it's a type of explaining of the seasons. Why would Demeter take life away? Something happens that's very tragic and it bums her out. Okay, sure. Um, but again, what about Persephone? And what about the pieces of us, whoever you are, whatever gender you identify as, um, what about the pieces of us that relate to Persephone in all of these various myth forms, right? The pieces of us that were forced to mature before they were ready. The pieces of us that are bargained over by um, authority figures in our life and we never get a say. And we're just put through this wild process. The pieces of us that maybe are choosing a harrowing adventure, which is very intrinsic to Lunasod season, choosing to lose some parts of us to be a little bent by the process, right? A little changed a little wrinkled by the process, but in the pursuit of becoming more authentically ourselves, our capital S, right? Our, our truest self, because those forms of the myth are out there too, where Persephone is saying, no, 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 I'm cool with this dude. I'm cool with this whole process. Um, I need to go through this process and none of you can initiate me in the way that this person can initiate me into my own power, my own agency, my own authority right? Totally flips the myth on its head. Now, journey even further back in time with me, because if we push deeply enough into the myth, we recognize that it is not Hades that she is going into the underworld with. Persephone goes into the underworld with Hecate. Okay. Now, that's a whole different story, isn't it? Wait, 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 wait. We have the maiden and the mother and the crone in that imagery. And we have, you know, multiple facets of a deity uh, that is acknowledging its versions of itself, right? We're seeing Persephone wrangling with her mother, but also witnessing deep into her own life and into her own process, 
where she's ultimately going to be headed and what she ultimately could become. So many levels of power and uh, authority and wisdom and agency within that version of the myth. It becomes a very, very different story. And that is pretty much all I'm going to say about it. I just want you to sit in that stuff. Do some research on that stuff if you are called to. Um, dig in on it because it is rich, right? That's, that's some heavy, heavy symbolism where it starts out because we're looking backwards through time, right? The most recent thing is the funkiest version because that has the most traces of patriarchy and kiriarchy woven into it. But the further back we go, the more deeply we push into human history that becomes more and more matrilineal, the further back in time we go. And eventually there are no gods in that conversation. It's just goddesses. So what's that do for you? <laughs> Take that trip, um, you know, and enjoy some wine with goat cheese, right? <laughs> because, because that's what you do. Um, that is the holy day that I want to talk about this week. That's the one. So I'm going to wrap up very quickly here with a little bit of tarot for you and a little bit of magic. And that's where we're going to be at for this week. Um, but yeah, there's another turn for you on the myth of Demeter and Persephone. And as I said, I've got even more to say about this in the class. Um, so I hope you can join us. Um, but uh, okay, let's get on to the next portion of the podcast. Okay, our tarot card for this week that I recommend you working with, if you're feeling it, is the Ten of Pentacles. This is by um, some magical systems, an indicator of Mercury traveling through Virgo. Mercury is retrograde in Libra right now. It will be heading into Virgo in the next week or so. Um, so we won't be lining up with that exactly, but pretty close. Um and the Ten of Pentacles is an interesting card. Uh, if we are working with the uh, Pamela Coleman Smith weight deck, we are seeing an image that is just absolutely jam-packed with information. And, um, you know, to, to draw us back to all of our stuff that we're dealing with here, when we are moving through the sign of Virgo, the tarot that we uh, want to be working with is our... Uh, the Magician, that connects us to the planet Mercury. The Hermit card, which connects us to the sign of Virgo, Virgo Mercury being the planetary ruler of Virgo. And the Eight, Nine, and Ten of Pentacles. Um, and so this week, again, Ten of Pentacles. A card absolutely jam-packed with information, visual uh, stimulation, symbolism, all kinds of stuff. We see really a uh, strong architecture here. We see uh, an old person with a snowy white beard uh, drenched basically in a robe that is covered in grape vines. We see, um, you know, various people and kids and dogs. And there's just, there's so much happening in the card that it's almost difficult to see what's happening in the card. And then on top of all of that, are the ten pentacles and they are illustrated in the form of the ten sephiroth from the tree of life that kabbalists work with and i'm not a kabbalist so i'm not going to get super hardcore into that stuff um go talk to your local kabbalist for more information but um but what this card is conveying is we've got so much going on on the physical plane stuff that we want to be dealing with, stuff that we don't want to be dealing with, stuff that's just going to come in and interrupt our process no matter what, that we might almost feel stuck or frozen or, you know, kind of like trapped in the thing um, or completely caught up in the attending to the physical plane. That's really what the Ten of Pentacles is kind of saying is like, we've got so much going on in the physical world in our life that we almost feel like we can't make any forward progress because we have to work hard on attending to what is already here and what's already happening. And that's really important. Um, you know, during this season, we can feel a lot of overwhelm. And with our astrology, we can feel a lot of overwhelm. So we've got a variety of things kind of contributing to 
feeling like maybe you have a million pokers in the fire or, you know, 80,000 text messages that you have to answer or all of these friends that want to go and do a thing or a bunch of extra work at work or extra chores around the house. And oh my God, oh my God, how am I going to get it all done? You're not. So just let that go. <laughs> but more importantly, um, with these 10 Sephiroth on top of the image that's in the card, for me, the message collectively with all of that stuff on this card is don't forget why you're here in the first place. Um, you know, if we think back again to what I was saying last week about making our way up the mountain and yes, we have a ways to go and let's look how far we've come and all of that stuff. The slog as we, you know, trial and travail and traverse our way through life and deal with one pandemic after another death of a leader after another upheaval of this type and another recession and another right you know on and on and on why are we here in the first place what are you doing with your life in the first place why do any of these things matter to you at all in the first place for me the ten of pentacles even though there is a culminating type of energy in this card it's a 10 there's also an energy of don't forget the holiness that runs through all of these otherwise really mundane chores that we have to do paying our bills you know picking up the kids from school uh you know tidying up the house whatever it is right hanging out with our elderly parents um and attending that work don't forget the sacredness that is embedded in all of this stuff. And it's really easy to forget. It's really, really easy to get wrapped up in the material plane and, oh my God, taxes and, oh my God, does this dress fit right? And, oh my God, what's my neighbor saying about me? And it's so easy to get lost in the sauce, especially these days, because it's a little, it's a little too saucy for me. I enjoy a lot of sauce, but it's a lot these days. <laughs> and the 10 of pentacles is a like, I know <laughs> it's, it's almost to me. It, I, I literally can hear the voice of tarot being, I know, I know it's a lot. It's like a lot, a lot, but, and don't forget the holiness that is at the root of all of these things. Don't forget how hard you worked to get here. Right. Don't forget, um, what mattered to you at the beginning of your process. And sometimes that's exactly what we need to do is to take ourselves back in time to the beginning of our process, the confusion, the uncertainty, the self-doubt that we felt at the beginning of our process, the lack that we felt, the, the questions that we had. How am I possibly going to get over the bridge? How am I possibly going to get through this hard time or that hard time? Look how far we have come. Don't forget how hard you have worked to get to where you are. And don't forget the holiness and the sacredness that is embedded in every session of sweeping the floor. Don't forget the sacredness that is embedded in weeding the garden. Um, that stuff is that coming back to that richness that's the gold. That's the actual gold in our life that we are harvesting right now uh, is that we are able to enact our will on the, on the physical plane. That's pretty fucking cool. Um, does it work every time? No. Does it work exactly the way that we hoped it to? No, but it worked and it is working and it will continue to work don't get lost in the sauce. Don't get lost in the taxes and this shirt fits wrong and don't get lost in that stuff. Don't get lost in the gossip. Um, stay centered and come back to the beginning of what am I doing? Why and why am I doing it? And in that work, when we move that work out to the physical plane, let that be where you start from, even though this is a 10, let that be where you start from when you are thinking about getting involved in 
mutual aid groups or connecting more deeply with your community. And maybe you start to feel insecure about that, or you doubt that you have something to bring to the table or whatever. The, the sacredness, the richness, the gold is in the connectivity. The sacredness and the holiness of that work is in the actual physical world connections with other humans. All that shit that happens online is interesting and cool and wonderful and lovely, but where, like, where is the rubber hitting the road? Where are you actually shaking hands with another human and looking them in the eye and having a real conversation with them? That's, that's the actual gold. And I emphasize that especially so in this day and age where everything is so tech oriented and so social media oriented, where is the authentic connection with the physical plane? Let this moment kind of be that questioning for you and regrounding back into the, what is fucking real? What is actually really real? Because you could take Instagram or Snapchat or Tech Talk or Facebook out of your life today. And yeah, there might be a few people that you don't talk to anymore. But how much would your life actually change without social media? <laughs> Just think about that for a second. Yes, I know a lot of us run our businesses through social media. Me too. Me too. But where does my actual work happen? With my clients with the actual real world conversations between me and another human. And where do, do my real connections come from when those people have an amazing connection with me and they tell their friends, they tell their family, they tell their coworkers, that thing. So this is a card to just bring you back to why am I here in the first place? What are we trying to get accomplished in the first place? What are we doing? What is this all for? Just that stuff, just little things like that, that's all. For folks that want to get even deeper into tarot symbolism, don't forget my Welcome to Tarot six-week workshop is beginning this week, uh, September 13th. Um, please join us. I think I've been saying that the class, the Wheel of the Year class was September 13th. I'm full of lies. It's the 15th. I'm a professional and I know what I'm doing. Okay, look. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to Tarot is starting September 13th. Uh, you can find a ton of information about this workshop on my website. Um, I have two half price tickets available for folks that make $30,000 a year or less. Um, black indigenous and people of color who would like to attend for free, get a hold of me. I have a couple of tickets for you as well. Uh, just send me an email. Um, I love this workshop. It is absolutely one of my favorite things to teach under the sun. I will whoop your ass with homework. Um, <laughs> we uh, take a very deep dive into the fundamentals of tarot, tarot history, tarot symbolism, all of that stuff. And then we take a really hard look at the, um, the suits through the lens of the elements and we really get to know the tarot. <laughs> and uh, my job is to help you begin building your own vocabulary to speak with tarot. Um, and it really is also a fundamental introduction to beginning a daily magical practice as well, with tarot or without. Um, so if you've been curious about it, check it out. There's a ton of info on my website. Um, I would love to see you in class. Uh, we do have a very good time. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that before the podcast was over. This was the tarot part. Um, so, uh, yeah. Welcome to tarot. Six week introduction to the fundamentals of tarot and magical practice. Join us, won't you? Okay. And for our magic this week, for spellcrafting or ritual work this week, um, none is completely appropriate. Um, again, we've got a full moon and then waning moon all the rest of this week. So for some folks, they see the full moon as like, that's it. That's the, that's the, we're done with doing work and we're just chilling after that. So if that's, uh, the process that you're in, cool. Um, but, and also I see the lunar cycle as like, we can do all kinds of work throughout the lunar cycle. And from the new moon to the full moon, we are 
progressing, we're building, we're increasing, we're adding, we're calling in, we're raising up, uh, we're growing, you know, any kind of work that fits into that stuff. And then from the full moon to the new moon, we are processing, we're digesting, we're refining, we are evaluating, and then ultimately we are letting go, we're cleaning out, we're reducing, undoing, um, uh, removing, cleaning out, clearing out, pushing away. Um, and so we've had plenty of stuff that we could be working with. <laughs> I think I've mentioned a variety of things already this week, you know, especially, especially around information, information exchange and information processing, both bringing in information and being able to, um, discern the truth and assess information correctly, as well as being very clear in our speech with other people and being very uh, certain that we are not trading in misinformation, even if we're doing it from, you know, I thought that's what I was supposed to say, or I had everybody's best intentions in mind and all of that stuff, like, you know, just being able to say, I don't know, and being okay with, I don't know. Um, and so maybe our spiritual work, our magical work, our, our, our spellcrafting and ritual stuff needs to be centered around, you know, getting ourselves very clear on what we know and very, very clear about what we do not know and clearing out misinformation and disinformation, letting go of assumptions that we had made earlier in the process um, because we just can't follow up on them right now. We can't assert them. We can't um, you know, clarify them right now. So we just got to let those assumptions go and say, man, I feel like kind of take two steps back right now, but that's what's up. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. Um, other things that we can do if we're looking at uh, forms of observance and stuff like that for the end of Lunasad season, um, climbing a hill could be really cool. Going through a harrowing experience of some time, some type. And again, you know what your safety levels are and what your, you know, psychological and emotional health levels are. So you know what that means for you. Um, this could be another week of venerating ancestors and potentially venerating old versions of yourself. I'm going to throw that in there too. Um, picking berries. Definitely. We still are doing harvesting stuff. We are still within the midst of the harvesting season, though we are going to start to pass some sacred days that after that day, you're not supposed to do any harvesting anymore. So get it while you can is definitely something here. Making or repairing sacred items and displaying them during this time. Making sacred items, sure, but again, we're in a waning moon cycle now. So the energy is draining out and letting go. But if you are making a tool or a magical item to assist in repelling, emptying out, pushing away, letting go of undoing, this could be a really great time for that. Um, and saving seeds also, is, I think, could be a really important uh type of spell crafting device or ritual moment for you for this week. And my friends, I think that's it. My voice is uh, definitely starting to go. So I probably should shut up. And um, I hope this helps. I hope that uh, this gives you some clarification and some direction for this week in all of the sauce that we are swimming in right now. Um, remember, you always have the right to put yourself in timeout, take a walk around the block, ask for more time, uh, ask for more clarification, and to say, I don't know, I'm not sure. It's okay. It's okay. Right? That's it. That's it? That's it. Okay. Blessed be heathens. <laughs>